Hey everyone, just want to encourage you to find us on your listening platform and give us a rating. Anywhere you listen to that has a rating system, go on over and give us a rating and maybe leave us a review. Let us know your thoughts. These ratings really do help. Thank you so much for listening. On to this week's episode. So Rolando, I know how you feel about certain genres of film. I know how you feel about musicals. I know how you feel about Westerns, right? You don't really like them. Um, I know you like comedies better. But I don't really yes. know your thought on a genre or shall we say subgenre that's actually pretty one of the strongest out there, especially when it comes to contenders for dramatic films. It's the war film. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on war films? I'm indifferent. Mm. I don't have like an opinion because I don't gravitate towards them. But if I watch them, I tend to like them. I guess it depends on the film. So you're open to watching them, but not like dying to watch them or like repelled by them. It's just sure. Let's see how this film, you know, does what it does. If I'm forced to watch a <laughs> film because my friends want to watch a war film, then sure, Got I it. will watch it. Okay, um, I'm never going out of like 1917 is a great example. No desire to watch that movie. All my friends wanted to see it in theaters, and I was just like, I guess. And, and uh, I liked feel? it. You liked it, okay. Dunkirk is another one where I had not one desire of seeing this film and when i came out it was just like okay it was good but i forgot about it those are two great films for you to bring up too because i think that they're really like shaping how we're doing war films now uh but you know for me war films are films that i respect but i don't love in the sense wherever i don't really re-watch a lot of war films <laughs> and war films are tricky because the moment you get this weird sense of either propaganda or patriotism in there i i i feel uncomfortable um and here is a film based on a book that we're going to talk about today two films that is known heavily for its pacifist themes and its anti-war message which is uh all quiet on the western front and There are three versions, but we're only covering two today. We're going to be covering the 1930 film that won Best Picture, and we're covering now the Netflix Academy Award-nominated film from 2022, uh, In Western Nick Nuis, which is all quiet on the Western Front. So Mm. let's get... You really had to say it in German? I practiced it like for like 15 minutes straight, so yeah. The eye roll I just gave. (laughs) I'm Nicole. And I'm Rolando. And this is Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. An original podcast about unoriginality. Have you ever heard of like All Quiet on the Western Front? Did you know it was a book? Did you know about the movie? Had you seen it in like film school? Actually, I had I had to read. Uh, excerpts of the book uh, for one of my history classes in uh, high school. Oh, I wow. guess whichever one really covers World War, yeah, World War One, uh, World War One, and because it, it, it kind of overlapped with like the English lit section, mm-hmm. right? So we were reading, yeah, because I remember what's it called? We read that one. That's also where we had to read. I think we may have read the full. Then you know when we move on to World War Two, we read a couple of books from uh, the World War Two era specifically. The holo- uh, the diary, diary Frank, for yeah, example. yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's World War Two. We're talking World War One, which uh, two completely different perspectives, book wise. You know, like one about a soldier in the trenches, and one about someone you know who is who's forced into isolation because of the way that they are being discriminated against. You know, really, really different thematic things there going on with the war. Now, it's I have a question to pose overall: Is 
Do you feel like you're educated well on World War One in general? Actually, because of watching these films, I kind of had to go back and like, I know Franz Ferdinand, like prior to watching <laughs> Archduke films. Ferdinand, yeah. Uh, but if you had to ask me like, what was the war about? It's just like, okay, well, there were the, uh, it was what was it? It was the Ottoman Empire, the Austrian Empire, and the oh Germany. Duh, we didn't say Germany. <laughs> Germany. That's okay, there we they, go. <laughs> they are considered the uh and the Americans we as Americans we joined the war eventually uh after the sinking of Louis Cetania, right? Yes. So I know like the little tidbits, but in retrospect, like, you know, I don't know really much about like the political ramifications of the war outside of what we've seen in movies and usually in films like what we do see and that kind of gets preached is like, oh, we're the good guys and stuff. But as you like do research into this, it's just like there were no good guys. No good guys. Like we were, there were there were there were no heroes in this in this war. Yeah, and you know, uh, I mean, good for you for knowing a lot more. I think than like the average person does. And if you compare it to what an average person knows about World War Two, you know, it's a lot of people know a lot about World War Two. We know who fought. Yeah. We know why we fought. We know the ramifications, and we kind of have a clear understanding of like there was some. There was kind of a good and a bad side <laughs> going on somewhat. Although even that gets somewhat. muddy. When even you think that about... gets muddy, absolutely. Because, yeah, we think, you know, we sided with uh, Stalin, but Stalin was also a genocidal maniac. Yes. So, like, and well, and we like, did terrible mm. things. You know, we also had concentration camps, right? So it gets really muddy. But, you know, a big part of that, though, is because of media, right? You know, like, let's say journalism. Journalism was not up to the standard that we know it to be during World War One, So a lot of Americans weren't getting properly, in quotation marks, educated about what was going on. Whereas when World War Two happened, journalism was at like, it pretty much like the peak that we understand journalism now in terms of how it reports the news. And then we had film, you know, we had mm-hmm. radio. So we had this way of getting information out. And it, I'm bringing this up too, because films are kind of a really important educational thing for people to go to and to learn about things but at the same time we have to be wary because films can be showing us one side of a story or they can be giving us their opinion of a matter and when it comes to war that can be particularly tricky so historically speaking all quiet on the western front it's based on a book we're not going to talk too much about the book we're going to talk about the films as always but it was written by eric maria remark in 1928 and he was a soldier who fought in the second company of world war one um this book was banned in Germany, and it actually copies of it were burnt by mm-hmm. uh, German people. So you know it has a troubled relationship within its own uh, country. Well, that's because of obvious Adolf Hitler yes. and the uh, Nazi rise to power. They viewed this book as a threat, especially since this is an anti-war book. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah, the power of literature and ideas, you know, being transferred around in our, in our media. Um, but it became a huge hit internationally, which is why Americans were the first to adapt this film. Um, the title is literally translated as Nothing New in the West. Uh, but when they, the translator took it and brought it to English, he chose All Quiet as kind of like a different, more poetic way, you know, of saying, you know, things haven't changed, stagnation, all that stuff. But yeah, it had a sequel called The Road Back, which is pretty much after war, you know, them going back. And they did turn into a film. Um, but we're out. We're just focusing on their time in the in the, in the the Western Front, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
So the first film was directed by Lewis Milestone, who we actually, we've covered one of his films on this podcast before. I wonder if you could just take a random guess as to what film he might have directed. Uh, all right. So this is a 1930s film. Is it? Expand past the 30s. Oh, it has to be. Okay. So that's what I was trying to see. It was like, it has to be. Yeah. It's, what, it's like his second to last films, actually. So. Oh, uh, Cheaper by the Dozen. No. Oh, that's a very good guess. Um, he directed the original Ocean's Eleven. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So, um, which is not a very good film. Uh, oh, I mean, <laughs> in retro, no. When we when, no, like not. that's a terrible movie. <laughs> this is again. This is one of his last films, and by then, I think directors, most directors, with their last films, are kind of checked out. Um, but I think All Quiet on the Western Front is a good example of a Lewis Milestone film. Like I said, this film won Best Picture when it came out. Um, it was, you know, won a critical acclaim. Um, and it's always kind of been held in high esteem. I think like it's in the 100 AFI, American Film Institute's best films of all time. It's highly regarded as a very good f- a war film, anti-war film. Um, but, you know, it's an English language film. And this takes place in Germany. Uh, they did a television adaptation in 1979 by Delbert Mann, which was also very well received, even though we're not covering that today. Uh, the big comparison we're going to do is to this now German language rendition of this German book with the Netflix film All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, Verlando and I agree that because these films are so st- uh, similar that we're going to pretty much talk about the stories and talk about the different way that the both films approached them. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be kind of like the way we're going to go about today's podcast. So we are introduced to our main character, Paul Balmer. Uh, pretty early in both films in different ways, but pretty much, you know, uh, it starts before the war. Well, actually, the second film begins with a cold opening of like just a, a scene of war and it immediately, immediately throws you in to the trenches, literally. Uh, what did you think about that, actually, opening up with that? I actually preferred it because of the way they do the storytelling there, in which we follow, an, we know his name, Heimlich or Heimler. Or something. The second kid. Uh, the second kid. Hem- Heim- uh, and uh, we're seeing him. He give up his life for the war, uh, and then how immediately almost forgotten he becomes. Right, like they take his costume, uh, his costume, his uniform, and like wash it and resew it up. And uh, so we were following this nameless soul. Not saying we know his name, but we were following mm-hmm. him. And then that uniform gets handed over to Paul. Kind yeah. of, which is like kind of the dark, which I was just like, oh, this is going to be gruesome. Oh, guys, by the way, unusual for me, but I watched this in the correct order. Wow. Look at that. Yes. Um. Yes. Yes. It is a very visual opening in the sense where it's quiet after the scene of, well, after the very loud scene of war, when you're watching, you know, what happens to the uniform and how it pretty much gets recycled to the next soldier, the replacement soldier of the second company. It's like, oh, shit, all these people are replaceable. You know, like war takes no, like, a prisoner. I mean, what's what's that saying? War takes no... Prisoners? Is it that? I don't know. It's like pretty much like you don't matter. Um, and it's a harsh reality to begin the film with, but it is effective in that sense. Um, and then we meet Paul and his group of friends who are very eager to join. Now, in the original film, we see soldiers parading through the streets. Uh, you know, and people have this general like rah, rah, rah. This is a just war. We support our troops. 
throughout the town. And then we go into a classroom where a teacher is giving a very passionate speech about why you should be a patriot, patriot and fight this war. And he's getting his students riled up. And this is how we meet the students in the original film. And we see how these words are affecting them and their idealizations of what it is to be a soldier and what it is to, to you know, be part of this war. Mm-hmm. And I actually loved that in comparison to how they handled it in the 2022 film, because in the 2022 film, they're all kind of like on stairs and it's just like, they're listening to him talk and they're like, yeah, yeah. Exciting. But then it's like, that's it. We don't really have too much time spent with the boys. Yeah. I actually prefer Um, it in the 2022 version because, well, I guess they're trying to achieve, I mean, we're, we're Paul while being the same, it's still slightly, the character is slightly different in both films. In the first one, he's, more idealistic mm-hmm. and stuff where in this one i get more so the sense that he's kind of like well i guess he is also idealistic in the in the new one the only thing is, i would it's just say like, so yeah his, so his family we dwell on it more in the original eh, is it that we dwell on it more it's different i guess it's just portrayed differently right like we don't even get his interaction with his family for example in the new one we just kind of skip don't. over that we skip the training too yeah, which, which I actually have a problem with. But before we get there, I think for me, I guess, the original film spends more time trying to establish the characters and also trying to establish why they are fighting in the first place. In the 2022 film, when they're listening on the stairs, it's like a two-minute sequence. But in the 30s film, it's a, it's a much longer sequence because I think you have to understand, you know, the sense of what the people who weren't fighting, how they felt about the war and why these kids volunteered these are volunteers and these are kids out of school. These are 16, 17 years old. So I feel like you understand that more because of the time spent in the 30s film than the time that they give it in the 20s film. And the tw- uh, the 20s, the 2022 film. We yeah. technically are in the 20s. So. I, I mean, I suppose. <laughs> so I guess maybe that, I don't know, maybe the 1930s one, just I feel like it's like kind of like spoon feeding it to you, right? Where this one, the kids are already brainwashed by the society that they live in yeah so you just mentioned a big difference between the two films that either will you know you'll accept about it or not the first film is a 1930s film so it's going to be a little bit more melodramatic the new film is way more naturalistic and it's actually less dialogue driven but it's like trying to provide you know like a very natural feeling you know in the 30s it was more theatrical it was just a different way of how they told their stories and also the script tended to be a little bit more on the nose with what they were trying to convey you know and very like theatrical characters would go into like these random little mini monologues and whatnot um very just a completely different time period like this 1930s film was 92 years ago a different way that they told the film mm-hmm. so that's either going to be something that you you accept about the fact that this is a different time period or you don't for the listener. Um, I guess for you, Rolando, was it a turnoff for most of the movie? Like, Oh my gosh, why is this so melodramatic? Yes, obviously. I, I figured. Yeah. Obviously. So you didn't accept it for being. A no, I mean, I could like still accept it for it's look, it's a war movie from the 1930s. It's in black and white. Um, technological. Achie- <laughs> I'm just saying it's a technological. I think there were technical technological achievements that were clearly present in the filmmaking here. But absolutely, was I well, bored at times? We, yes. All right. So before we uh, get to that, and actually, I will say that I felt like both films were too long. Let's just say that I feel like uh, the original one's supposed to be longer because long. we got the Library of Congress edit. The original no, one, the, the new film is is uh, 
is no 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 longer. the original film is 155 minutes i don't think anyone has seen it since before world war ii because it got edited so many times to like appease other edited, markets yes. that i think the only one that it remains in the congress was 122 minutes 100 yeah so yeah so Talking about different time periods and too, and a perfect example of this is going to be Gone with the Wind. Whereas when film was new, especially like 1930, you know, feature length films were less than 10 years old as an art form. So by adapting a book, they didn't really know, like they were still getting used to how to adapt it. So a lot of these early book adaptations are going to be more literal than say a newer one with is and in this 2022 film takes many liberties with the book. So here's a big difference, right? The 1930s film, very faithful to the book. So, I, I mean, I've never read it. The 2022 one takes a lot of liberties, which, you know, some people are like, hey, that's the art of adaptation. You take what works for the medium, you take what doesn't work. So another big thing that we got to address. Right. Um, okay. So the other reason why I think the, the original uh, opening scene is good is because it foreshadows something that comes in the later film, which does not happen, which comes later in that film, which doesn't happen in this new Netflix film. Um, so... I guess you had to spend more time in the classroom in the beginning because when he returns to the classroom. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. It's fine. You could, I mean, you could spoil it. The movie is like almost 100 years old at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, for people who want to see the new film. But okay. Well, so, it's not in the big new difference. Film, though, so. Well, yeah. Good point. Okay. Big difference between the next two films is that the original film has a training sequence. And the next film, they're just thrown into war. We don't have any idea of how they got there. And I guess, do you feel like we should have had a sense or do you feel like it was more because also we're talking about war and we're talking about a real war and about what real soldiers went through. So it, it, you are kind of like looking to this film to educate you in some ways. And according to the 2022 film, they're just dropped in with no training. I would. So I think this is so this is what I was more fascinated about while watching both these films is just like this war is over 100 years old at this point. Right. Like I think everyone or if not majority of people who were alive during that war are dead now yes that war as far as we're concerned is now like in the history books only so all we could rely on are the historical artifacts that remain which is the letters the soldiers wrote and uh first-hand accounts that are still in existence with that said i think it allows creators to be uh almost callous in how we portray that war in this sense, like saying it's just like look at these poor dumb kids who just signed up for this war. They don't even get training; they just get sent into into yep. the war. You know, me who doesn't have necessarily the finest grasp of history, I'm very much inclined to believe it's just like yeah, we were barbaric back then. I I believe it. <laughs> like, and you know, and and you know, it's from the German point of view. And the German, they needed soldiers. You know, mm -hmm. so like it wasn't that implausible for me to believe that they wouldn't have had training or the training would have been so minimal that it's like not worth the screen time you know yeah no uh good well said i do think that removing the training sequence is actually doing an injustice or at least like for people who are looking to be and this is also not just the film's fault this is also an audience's fault but it's like just don't take everything you see for fact and like question things um and in the original film we have a character of Himmelsauce. And Himmelstoss was the postman in their town. And when they see that he's now kind of like their trainer, uh, they're like, hey, it's Himmelstoss, Himmelstoss. But Himmelstoss takes his position very seriously and mm -hmm. is very, he's power tripping. And he abuses these kids to the point where, you know, they they rebel against him, actually. And they like punish him their last night there, which I actually thought was a really, 
satisfying sequence because I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with Himmelstoss? But it also shows you, you know, what the idea of being a soldier does to a person's brain. You know, it's like this weird sociological thing that happens where it's like, you know, I have the power, you must respect me and all this stuff. And and these this comes into play in different ways in both films, but I thought Himmelstoss is a really good representation of that in the first film because when Himmelstoss turns later in the film, they do not respect him anymore. You know, war has done so much damage that like none of these, you know, what it is to be like the, the roles we play in society, you know, mm-hmm. the norms that we go about and stuff. None of that shit matters anymore. You know, they've been to fucking war. Like, well, what are you, who are you trying to be, Himmelstoss? Trying to make us stand and salute you? Mm-hmm. Like, fuck you. So like that difference of how war has changed them with this character and how in the beginning they do everything he says. But by the end, you know, they laugh at his face. Um, so... And we see that indeed there is training happening for these soldiers. And he's already then, disillusioned right from the get go. Like, yes. so I mean, that's a. I guess maybe that's also why I kind of prefer the 2020 version. It's just like he's disillusioned already from the training. Like, which, which is, is just interesting like, because then story wise, there's no beats that get you there. He's just bam, he's there, and then we stay on that beat for two more hours. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that kind of exhausting? I mean, I guess yeah. As opposed to like the other one, the other one, like in the in the new one, it's just like, well, that makes sense why he would be like miserable, like we're fucking like I think one of his friends dies like almost immediately getting off, you know? Yeah, the train. No, the harsh realities of war hit them like that in the. Um, I'm laughing, but in the, I shouldn't in be, the second but... film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now you're yeah, laughing, like, and you shouldn't. The be. I'm laughing at you, Rolando. Mm. So in the in the 2022 Netflix film. There's four of them as opposed to in the original. I think there's like six of them. And uh, one of them with glasses. He has, his character has glasses because it, you see a visual uh, motif that comes later. But he is so petrified by being in one of the like little areas. What is that called? The trenches? Yeah, they're like in a boxed in trench, which also, you know, historically being in the trench was the safest place to be. In that war, so it's interesting that uh, <laughs> that's actually what killed him. Like I literally, they step the out. The safest place to be would be with the generals, like miles away from the war zone. Well, we're talking from a soldier's point of view, but it's so interesting because then after they come out of that little, you know, boxing area, they see all these dead bodies there, and it's just like, really? Like, is that was it so easy to kill them in the trenches? Because then, why were the trenches effective? You know, it's just like from a historical point of view, you're wondering like, was it that easy for this many dead people? like dead bodies to you know populate in the trenches like that because again this film is this film is made a hundred years after this war and it's trying to put forward historical facts to us so we have to question like wow was it that easy to be killed just like that in the trenches like this 2022 film is telling us because the 1930s one didn't tell us that Mm. so and i hate to be like such a like a historian about it but you know it's kind of our duty to with war, we have to take in like historical accuracy and entertainment at the same time. Like, yes, things will be stretched and things will be um, more theatricized for film. But also you are kind of putting forth a theory about how this war worked to me. And I have to take your word for it or or I should actually just question it. So, Well, hang on. Is that the is that the medium's fault that you have to take these things into as like what's called so, no, reality no. now or uh, yeah i'm talking about an audience member i guess what's but it's also kind of a you know it's pushing a shove it's like they should not be lying to me but i should also be aware of the fact that i'm watching a film not a documentary 
um, I believe all films have that stipulation at the end saying, like, all these are fake and anything that might be true is not. I forgot what the actual Rasputin, you know, the, oh, the all the way at the end yeah. credits where people are gone from the theater and stopped watching or Netflix already put on Emily in Paris for them. Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, you know, we know how people work. Yeah, we so. do know. I mean, but I don't know if that's the film. I mean, I guess. Yeah, again, push yeah. it to shove. It's a little, a little bit of both. Yeah. Um. So whatever. Okay. Uh, the scenes of war in both films are highly impressive. Highly impressive. Now, the 1930s film, I feel like, really set the standard. Like, after they accomplished what they did in the 1930s with that war set and the way that they, you know, showed... Um, what it was like to be in the Western Front. I mean, that's at the standard for films ever since, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, that was high cinematic art. And I think both of these films did a really good job in portraying their war sequences. Particularly the new film has very good audio editing and an impactful soundtrack, which is literally just... Because <laughs> nowadays that's what scores are. That's so funny. Um, I actually didn't. I actually that was my main complaint for this film. I didn't necessarily like the music. The music, yeah. So the music was kind of like after a while, I was like, okay, yes, I get it. it didn't but take, I thought the audio editing was excellent. Yeah, the audio editing is fine, but like the music I thought was like kind of just like I was just like it doesn't fit. It felt more like a rock, like a German rock song or something. Like just like maybe about to start. So playing. funny you said that because the composer of the film said his influence was Led Zeppelin. Oh. <laughs> I, I so see, but it's just like, but it was a little <laughs> weird. Maybe because you know you're watching historical movies. Sometimes it's a, it's not like the Baz Luhrmann film Elvis, where we have all of a sudden hip hop dropping while we're watching Elvis, right? That is a stylistic creative decision. I mean, yes, you can make the argument that this is a stylistic creative choice that they made. I don't know if I agree with it. In yeah, my opinion, you don't know if you got down with it. It's yeah. unsettled. It was unsettling for sure because it made that opening sequence where Heimler. Is his uh his his remains and his uh his uniform are being carried over like kind of much darker, but still I don't know if I needed it throughout the whole film. It just felt out of place, in my opinion. Yeah, after a while it was like I get it, but I also um, don't know what movie. Give music, me something different. I don't know what music from the nineteen tens sounds like. So I mean, did we want to yeah. trust? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. That was probably the twenties, but um, so the thing about the 1930s film is that there's not really a score. There's like, we're just living in this movie, you know? So we're not like, there's not music constantly playing throughout it. And they kind of chose that direction minus the whole, like the bong that's happening throughout the film. Because I think that's also like a stylistic choice that a lot of these new composers are making. Like, you know, Hans Zimmer when he does Nolan and, and Villeneuve movies, which is like taking sounds that rec- that you would register as like real life noises, but passing it off for music. So I feel like, okay, they chose that approach because it's a war film from the 1910s. So, but after a while for me, I guess it was like, I get it. I agree with you. Uh, But audio editing is excellent and might win the Academy Award for that. So we'll see. Okay. So Paul and his friends start dying. It's as simple as that. They also befriended an older soldier who was part of the first company called Cat. Mm -hmm. Cat is famous for um, being able to get them food, right? So in the original film, you know, he just like casually steals a pig off of a, a train and brings it mm-hmm. back to his family, uh, his, his troop. They're kind of like a family. Uh, but in the new film, there's a farmer that they keep like 
harassing. And that's the thing. I didn't really kind of understand the logistics of where they were going, but it wasn't the most important thing, but whatever. Wait. Um, they kept... Like, what? where was this farm and how were they being able to get to it, I, I guess? Because just, I think, it's, you know, the civilians and stuff and they had a well, farm. Well, that's the thing. Trenches. In the 1930s film, you're either, you know, you're back or you're on the front and you kept, keep getting called back to the front. But they didn't establish that that's how it worked in the 2022 film unless I missed that. I can't say for sure because... Yeah, I, I honestly don't know how 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 the how World War One works. <laughs> so. And that's the thing. Like, I get I got a sense of like how things worked better in the 1930s film. Like, okay, so they're like they're on you know their their camp, and then they mm-hmm. get called to the front every so often, and sometimes they get leave. Right, mm-hmm. he gets a leave. I didn't understand any of that in the in the 2022 film. It was they were as far as I was concerned, they were constantly in the trenches. Um, but then they sometimes weren't. I was like, so where are they? How does this work? I guess I just had like questions in terms of me being curious as to how the war worked. But mm-hmm. maybe I'm the only one and maybe it doesn't matter. Um, but he, he's harassing a farmer and he keeps stealing their goose uh, to, so that he could feed, you know, his his troop. Yeah. his friends. And uh, yeah. And Kat is probably the most other prominent character in this film other than Paul. Um, I think Kat in both films works. I think Kat is probably the strongest actor in the original film. But the difference is because they're all very melodramatic. It, it is what it is, right? Like sometimes you roll your eyes at it in the 1930s film. So whatever. But he's not. He's the most nat- naturalistic in my opinion. And that's because he's he's much older than them in the original film. Mm-hmm. And you get the sense where like the second company, really these volunteers were kids who were kind of lied to about the glories of war and like, you know, told to go out there. And now here they are. And they're like, why am I here? And they're like losing their minds, literally. Uh, in the second film, I I feel like um, he was closer in their age group, so he was kind of like, like he looked like maybe like uh, like five six years older than everybody. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily like kill anything for me. It's just a, it's a difference, and I guess that whole like these young kids volunteering for war was more prominent in in me when I watched the 1930s film. But I think their relationship worked in both films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree with you. I guess casting wise, though. Again, I I think it makes more sense. I I don't know. Would someone so old really be such a survivor? Well, also, well, hang on. How about this? I'm saying it's just like, what I'm trying to say is just like, the (laughs) odds of someone being that old and still alive in the war. Well, how old was he? I don't don't really know. Well, that's the other thing I was going to say. is like in the 1910s, like, you know, 1910s, 40s is probably like 2020s, like 50. Uh uh like for men like looking at like looking like in your 20s you probably look like 50 now does that make sense (laughs) like back then it was a hard life in the in the in the 19 oh this is movies from the 1930s hard it was a hard life but you had to be even harder the older you got you know so yeah by that logic i mean who knows we can't speak to that but i think it worked uh in the second film he's illiterate and there's this nice scene there where he gets a letter from his family and and paul has to read it to him and he finds out a little bit more about who cat was so like there's this character building wait that and was one paul thing that was I... shitty next to yeah that was paul i thought that was someone else <laughs> yeah I, no i like I, weird like i guess because of the uniform it also looked different like he was from a different i thought he was a frenchman or something and also his face no, looked so much more no, no, no. that was cat he had the mustache no no, no i know that was uh Oh, Paul. Yeah, I'm well, talking Paul, about Paul. Yeah. Paul. No, like, that was definitely yeah. Paul. 
Okay. That was them building their relationship um, in the film. You know, the one thing that the second film did was that it, it minimized the, the friend group. So there was four that came together and then three that got killed the first night. So now it's like really, I mean, one that got killed the first night. So it's down to three plus cat and then a uh, chat Chajin or something. Chats Whereas like there's me. a bunch of them in the first film. So sometimes you're like, wait, which one's that? Which one's that? Right, right, right. Um, so in the second film, you know, one of them spends a night off with a French civilian and he brings back a scarf that kind of becomes a motif passed from soldier to soldier. Um, another one steals a picture off of like a, a poster, a, a building of a yeah. woman and that he like puts on his trench, like, you know, like his, this is what he wants to go home for. And now the way he dies <laughs> was gruesome. Yeah, but also made me think. I did not see. Is flame? Is yes. that historically accurate? Yep, that is. That is. So, so okay. So so poison gas and flamethrowers are staples of World War One for sure. Crazy. Uh, yeah. That I know. He dies by a flamethrower. I remember that from so. listening to Radio Lab and stuff. And like the brutality that was World War One is, you know, awful. Oh, stuff. absolutely! It, it ruined a generation. And yeah, but uh, but yeah, no flamethrowers were a thing. I I I think the reason you don't see them in the 1930s film is probably because like I don't think we understood how to do like stunts like that. You know, just yeah, yeah. no. Well, the one there was this shot in the 1930s film because you know they're in the trenches, but they have these wires in front of them, and the French soldiers are trying to advance on them. One of them approaches the wires, you know, a grenade goes off, and then all you see left of him are his hands on the mm. wires. That was astonishing yeah. when I saw that. Um, now, obviously, in the 2022 film, we get that times a thousand. <laughs> to the point, like, you see so much blood. You see so many people's heads explode. You see so much death that after a while, you kind of get desensitized to it. It kind of feels like a video game. Um, Kind of? You mean, like, how soldiers had to feel like you mean? But that's the thing, like, when it becomes so one note and you're trying to get a message across, you have to give it a balance so that people don't start ne- rejecting it, right? Because mm-hmm. the film was incredibly repetitive, this this 2022 Netflix film, in terms of its scenes of war. It doesn't show what a lot of the original film does. It doesn't balance things out because I don't know if maybe you, maybe you don't agree with me, but it's like if you're constantly being like, beating a dead horse with a message does a person take that message after a while or, or does it escape them or do they reject it so there were in the 2022 version there were basically i think two major instances of like the actual carnage and stuff and they happen i would say uh in the second half of the film Right, yeah, in the first half, like in the first half, we have like one one bloody battle, but the second half is once we start getting the flamethrowers and stuff, and then we see the countdown basically happening, which makes like the ending much more tragic, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I don't know if I was necessarily desensitized because, like, for me, the balance comes in with the introduction of these new characters, the the commanders, the ones that are trying to negotiate peace. And this yes, war, which did not exist in the book, right? They threw but that in there. For I the think film. it was probably the strongest part of this film that makes me prefer well it here, at least because I have just uh, what's it called? I had a uh, I don't gravitate towards war stuff, right? But excuse me for this clunky uh, 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 demonstration here, here, but like, sorry guys, I'm like working on a little sleep, uh, but. I just recently, uh, Eddie and I had just recently finished Andor. 
And uh, this show Andor, which is a revival of uh, the Star Wars. Uh, new, no, I forgot the movie, but it's one of those like prequel movies. But Rogue not one. Rogue One. Yes, thank you. Uh, so it's a prequel to Rogue One, but unlike any other Star Wars property, this is like the first time that we see like the actual Empire in its brutality, and uh, more importantly, we also see the Rebels in its brutality. Also, and one of the great things that the show did was like it kind of shows you the leaders of both sides and how unscathed they are. With all the little skirmishes. So the little man is always paying the price. While the big guys are never hurt by the the, the brutality of the war. This, show, this film did such a great job demonstrating that. Because you had so many of the, so much of the leadership still ready to just like, fuck them. Let them die. Like, I will until you sign this arm, uh, until you sign this treaty. You had this one, there was only one guy. The guy who's from the Marvel movies. Uh... I don't know his name, but that's all I know him from. He's like Daniel Brühl. Yeah, Sergeant Van Doom. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but he uh, yeah. he is the only one who's trying to like save as many lives as possible. He's ready for to lose the war uh, because he knows at this point the Germans are just fighting for ego. But uh, everyone around him is just like, no, we will like honor and and all this shit. That's like useless. Right. And it just makes me so mad because like, if you really think about it, who are the, who were the bad guys of world war one? It was, it's leadership. It was absolutely absolutely leadership and stuff that were the bad guys that so many lives were lost. And that's something that with 92 years later, you know, this film brings into it, you know, it's like all this hindsight and this, this message where it becomes more of a classist message too. You know, like, look at this poor leadership putting our civilians out there to die for no reason at all. Not a noble cause for 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 nothing, especially Mm -hmm. with the ending, which I thought was also like, wow, they're just cranking it to not even 11. They're cranking it to 13. And that never historically happened. So I'm like, interesting creative choice they did. Wait, what Um, do you mean didn't historically happen? What? The 15 minutes before the war ends, send the troops out to fight one more last time. I actually... I've actually had heard a lot of instances of that happening, so I think that's actually well. So that general is not real. No, 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 no. But the actual, how many people died right before, like the right yes. before the. I mean, I'm sure people announced. did die right before everything was announced, but I think that the way, like the whole situation that's presented, is is either a complete fabrication or is they took a lot of liberties with it. Mm-hmm. But. Um, the original film does not have this classist thing to it. It's just more solely like war sucks. Why did anyone fight in this war and war dies? It was a very pacifist film. We have to remember that the 1930s film was made in a time of pacifism and pacifism is, you know, in vogue in between wars. So this was between World War One and World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, this new film, uh, there's war, you know, we have, we're not, it's it, things have changed <laughs> 92 years later things have changed our relationship to all these um up to media representation of war and to war itself has changed and whatnot uh and this is a different war this is not a war this war happened 100 years ago whereas in the 1930s it happened less than 10 years ago when that came out so it's interesting because i wonder what this film's stance on war is and I feel like, okay, Pauline Kael. You know who Pauline Kael is? No. She was a film critic. And when in her review of the original film, she said, isn't it easy to be a pacifist when you're showing the side of the loser? 
you know, would anyone make a pacifist film if they were, you know, showing uh, RAF soldiers in World War II, right? Like okay. Royal Air Force. Okay. Um, if you're showing the winning side, would you make a pacifist film, right? And it's almost so easy to get so caught into war is hell and war sucks when you fully are embracing the loser's side. War mm-hmm. sucks when you lose, right? Can you think of any film about war sucks when people win? And I actually made, I, I'm sure there exists. I just can't really think of any, which is why I wanted to ask you. Mm. Where the good guy, where, where our side. We're on the winning side. We're on the quote, just side. But, you know, it's a kind of anti-war pacifist film. Yeah, I don't, uh, I can't, as someone who doesn't really, gravitate towards watch war films yeah yeah but if you think about most war films too you know like they also have this sense of patriotism war is oh totally like i feel like saving private ryan the way that it ends in a very patriotic way and you know different films and stuff so i guess when i was watching this new film and like the way that they chose to end it i was like okay i really feel like this film is not only anti-war but it's anti uh government and i felt like it brought so much of that into the way that it held this new film, which I mean, hey, whatever, I, I'm cool with the anti-government thing, but I feel like that's why it felt more like a video game. And when I say video game, I specifically don't mean like you're saying what it is to be a soldier. I don't think what it is to be a soldier in war feels like a video game because in a video game, you're home, you're comfortable, you're just killing nonstop and you get desensitized to violence and you go on with your day. Mm-hmm. That's what watching this film felt like. It did not feel like actually being a soldier. And I, I actually mean, feel like for me, at least. Sure. I'm not a soldier. <laughs> I've never been to war. I don't know what it feels like. But, and I'm not saying the 1930s film gave me um, that better, but I saw more of like a balance and I understood the mechanisms of at least what it was to be a soldier in World War One better than I did in this new film because the new film was so focused on the violence and the brutality that it was extra. It was relentless. Um, and I just, I guess I wonder if that was the only way that they can convey this whole message that they have, which is not just anti-war, anti-classism, you know, anti-government and stuff. Um, because also the guy who like sent them out 15 minutes, we're going to fight. is just such a cartoonish character, you know, mm. and they made him up. So it was like, why, why are we doing this? It's like, it was just so relentless at that point. I was like, this is a creative choice to like, keep going. Oh, you know, it's also, I mean, well, film is spectacle now. Like, yes. Well, spectacle at the at the hands of, uh, I guess, realism, which, you know, you should be both. Right. You should be a balance of both. I don't I thought they did. Mm. I definitely preferred the ending of the original film, um, and which, maybe, you know, was kind of like, uh, like slapped together. Yeah, like, I know. You know what I mean, like they uh, what's it mm-hmm. called that ending? It wasn't the original ending. Like he shot it yeah. after the actors were really. Done. So you did like that's why you only see the hand reaching for the butterfly. Yeah. I don't know. I think I prefer the new ending a little bit better, to be quite honest. Well, the new ending, and maybe this is why you like it. It felt very um cinematic. It felt not just cinematic. No, not just cinematic. For me, I felt like both endings were very cinematic. It's mostly about the they, yes, but I think for me, it's mostly about the idea of like oh these poor poor they're just being sent to their death be, for yeah. nonsense like for absolute like it sucks. That count, you know, just knowing that like it's going to end so soon, but like they, they're all going to die. 
So both deaths of Paul at the end are redundant. They just happen in random times, Mm -hmm. right? And it's just like, he's just going, but the second film, he has such an adrenaline rush, which I'm sure soldiers did, soldiers did that. He just killed a shitload of people and then he gets stabbed in the back. Right. And he's also like on this killing rampage because Kat just died so randomly by the farmer's son, which I was like, okay, I guess, sure. But like, I, I, that actually did not, like, I didn't... I didn't think that was a good creative choice at all. Oh, well, um, cuz I thought it was so arbitrary that it was kind of like you're not you're not this isn't actually adding to your commentary of what you're trying to say this is taking away from it. You I don't think well, I guess maybe we just take different things from me because I don't think that Cat's death because of the, the young kid is arbitrary, right? Like I keep I think a lot of this movie is about this whole idea of like the loss of innocence here. He mm-hmm. died at the hands of a child basically because but, you know, is it a just death? Like, is same thing goes with World War One in, in general. Like, is, what's this a just war, right? He was stealing from his family. The kid did something to defend his family. But guess what? He's mm-hmm. also acting out on the fact that we're in war. You know yeah. what I mean? Every, mm-hmm. every scrap of meat that you eat is something off of my plate that my family can't have. You know what I mean? So, like, it's just like, was it, was it arbitrary? I don't know. Like, like I... Again, it shows you the senselessness well, it's arbitrary because he's a soldier, he's in war, and this is how he dies at the hands of a child. Right. Um, he's not on the combat and stuff. So, like, in that sense, that- yes, you can say, wow, that's how he died. Like, is that what they're going to say back to his family? Um, you, I mean, what do you say? I mean, you say yeah. he's going to be, he was a thief, and he died. So that, that's why I take it as, like, like, I was like, okay, an arbitrary death. Because Paul always, in both versions, he dies just so randomly, mm-hmm. right? Like, it almost is like, how did it happen in the first film? Um, more so. But um, I guess for me, the, the way that Paul dies is the big difference because after he goes on this killing rampage and then he gets stabbed in the back, you kind of knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the original film, it was just a quieter moment of him actually like seeing something that he connected with, this butterfly, because he connected butterflies in his past life. And he just wanted to reach out and get it, but he's in war. So he makes himself um, vulnerable. Visible. Yeah invisible and because of that he dies and it's just a, and that to me is like the ultimate like almost kind of like wow gut-wrenching um death because it's like you're actually trying to connect to who you were mm-hmm. and because of that because of where you are you get killed for it but then it ends with this shot of a grave of cemeteries and you see this uh, you know the, sh- the shot uh calls back to when they were first soldiers entering the second company and they're all like looking back on it mm-hmm. on the camera you know and you see the soldiers and you see just the idea of like all of these soldiers who signed up and all of the pointless casualties that happen in this war gets really felt in that last shot. Whereas in the new film, you know, they give us some statistics that are just as heart uh, wrenching. But for me, I cinematically loved seeing that visually because I understood what they were trying to say through that. And, you know, I watched that film with my mother and afterwards, like, first of all, she stayed awake for it, which is an accomplishment for a 1930s film and my mom, but also she was so quiet. I could, I knew that like she got it. Like she felt it, you know, she felt what the film was trying to convey. Um, whereas she didn't actually watch the new film with me, but afterwards, you know, I just kind of felt like did Paul's death, did it, did it hit me in the same way mm-hmm. for me? It did not for mm-hmm. me. It was almost too arbitrary, but also if you're going to show me going, like if you're going to show him going on a killing rampage before, then maybe I'm not going to feel like, damn it, Paul, I can't believe you just died that way. Cause yeah. I mean, you, I guess that's I like, mean that's a valid point. I, I, I would agree with you on that. Um 
I just want to talk about one more sequence that was in both of them um, to compare it is when Paul kills a French soldier in the in one of those little dugout holes. And then he has to stay there while he watches this man that he just stabbed die slowly die not just die slowly die you know which which sequence yeah well he like goes through all these different emotions (laughs) he goes through so many emotions uh which sequence do you think worked best for you i don't know i think they both worked equally because i kind of saw these almost back to back yeah they both did work really well (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) One had color. Yeah, they pretty much were the same. There was more added lines of dialogue, obviously, in the 1930s one. And and Lou Ayers, you know, not the strongest actor. But uh, I guess for me, that was one of the sequences where I thought the new film really, really did it well. Um, Because also with the advancements of acting and with audio, you know, hearing him die Mm -hmm. was really prominent. And also before he he kind of has a reversal where in the new film, he like puts mud down his throat and tries yeah, to get him to die. And then he feels bad. And then he like starts like trying to help him. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, it to me, that rang really true. Um, I just thought it was overall really successful. Yeah. My favorite scene in the original, though, was uh, when the guy, his legs were amputated and uh, mm. the soldiers are around <laughs> He him. wanted the boots. They wanted the boots. I was just like, God, this fucking, it's like, yep. we're so fucked. as like species right yeah seriously no that was yeah yeah that was a great sequence uh the original film has paul go on leave he visits his family he feels detached and disillusioned like he can't function in normal society and he goes back to the classroom of the teacher who encouraged him to join the war in the first place Mm -hmm. and he's been in the war for years now and he sees the kids that are now being given the same lecture and they're all you know drinking the kool-aid they're all want to sign up and the teacher's like, give them words of wisdom from the field. And he's pretty much like, don't fucking do it. And he says, if when it comes to dying for your country, it's better to not die at all. It is a strong statement against patriotism or a false sense of patriotism and also against war that like you this is this is the scene why I probably got banned in Germany. Right. <laughs> why it why it's like considered also to be such a pacifist thing. Because I feel like you know, patriotism is such a strong notion throughout the entire world in so many countries that when you hear such a anti-patriotic statement like that, like, I feel like even today people would hear that and be upset by it. And of course, the people, the kids in the classroom call him a coward, call him a mm-hmm. traitor. You know, they do. They reject him. Um, and it's just so accurate. And to me, like, I loved that scene. Now, of course, you know, some lines were on the nose and stuff, but it was like, this is the central message of what I think the book probably was and what this original film is that kind of got lost in the, in the 2022 film because it's also like, again, we only spent like two minutes on the stairs with that teacher and then we never see him again. And Paul never gets back, you know, he just dies. So it's yes. Yeah. Because I think the timing is different. Like you, you're right. I think the other one it's, he's been on the front lines for like a while in this one. Mm -hmm. It seems like maybe not that long. Like maybe, maybe this is literally like a month in the life of this kid you yeah know? and what yeah. a shitty month uh well i think it's 18 months at what, at what 18, point there's like 18 that, months was it, I, yeah. I must have missed it yeah stuff. oh my gosh there was this one scene where we have like this wide shot of the soldiers they're all there waiting under the in the trenches and it's behind them right mm-hmm. and we see that they're there in the trenches and above them on the ground is the barbed wire mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then they start to attack and the camera does a 180 and now we're in front of them 
you mm-hmm. know what? The barbed wire is gone, and it's now in back of them. Did you have, did you notice that when you were watching the film that that happened in the new one? Yeah, in the new one because they're about to attack, uh-huh. and I saw. I was like, "Wow, how are they going to attack with the barbed wire in front of them?" A question that I had in the '30s film, but got answered because that's when the French soldiers advanced, and then they had to defend themselves, right? But in the new film, literally, the barbed wire just disappears and is now in back of them, and they charge. And I was like, "Holy fuck!" That is one of the biggest goofs I've ever seen in a film, and it's also kind of irresponsible. Oh, I can't say I how it's that. like. I gotta check yeah, it out. I noticed that you gotta check it out. Yeah. Um, okay, so overall, what do you think? How, do you have a film that you prefer that that hit the messaging overall for you? Like, you know, let's let's talk oh, about. Oh, I guess as in a terms whole, of maybe hitting films. the messages, because I think the original one beat that message over your head. Right, especially you're right with the cat with the scene with the with the professor. He gets called a coward. Uh, but if I had to pick a movie that I preferred, it'd probably be the new one. Uh, I guess only because of those added scenes of uh, of of seeing like the 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 honchos and stuff, and like how how disillusioned not disillusioned, but how disconnected they are from the fact that their men are dying and like how they're willing to keep sacrificing more lives right uh yeah. i think the original black and white one it did have some great sh- shots right like one of the shots that comes to mind is like this i was curious as how they did it they you're filming from a window and you're seeing these soldiers kind of going up the mountain and stuff and it's like one of the earlier shots of the film just like oh yeah. wow this is a mm-hmm. beautiful beautiful shot uh yeah. but uh, that's not to say that the filmmaking techniques here in the new one weren't superb because the director for the new film, he kind of wanted to do as many practical shots as possible. It wasn't it, it wasn't a CGI fest in the shows, which is a bold choice for a Netflix movie because it's like it's Netflix. <laughs> like, yeah. But you know what? They got the Oscar nominations. So I Absolutely. guess I guess he did something right. I encourage our listeners to watch both films, honestly. I think you could take away both. Uh, take away things from both of them and i think doing a compare and contrast of them is actually going to be beneficial for a viewer i do prefer the original um i prefer the the balance and i i just think that uh, cinematically it had what i want from a film more um and yeah i yeah i mean do you think it's going to win any oscars do you think it's going to win best foreign language film i don't think it will win best picture but no i don't think it'll win best picture but it might win best foreign what are, what's it up against? I don't even know. Uh, Argentina, nineteen eighty five. Close. The Irish Girl, and uh, one more. Maybe Triangle of Sadness also got double nominated. I'm not sure, but okay. um, I don't know. But uh, maybe. Yeah. I guess I don't know. It's definitely gonna win some tech awards, I think, and it would deserve it. I actually, this is like seventy five percent of the films I watch. I wish I saw this in a theater because it probably would have sounded good. But it sounded great on my surround sound, you know. So at least I had that. So. <laughs> just Rolando has nothing to say. I did I freeze or no? <laughs> you did not. I you you didn't wish you saw it in a theater to hear it a certain way. I don't see it bigger. I don't know. It's like maybe like 1917. I saw that one in theaters and I'm just like, all right, great. Uh, nothing phases you, man. You're so like chill. I don't need. <laughs> I don't necessarily need the big screen. I like. I need the comfort of my. I love the comfort of my home and stuff. Is what I prefer to be quite honest and. I don't know. This one, I was just cuddling, snuggling up with like the dog while watching this film. So oh, these films, actually, because I come, I basically saw them back to back, basically. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I would have 
I don't know. I mean, the spectacle, the scenes, especially when the tanks get introduced. Yeah. Would have been probably, like, nice to see on screen because, like, those tanks looked so intimidating when you first see them. Like, they're coming out of the smoke and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, I don't know. I'm not, yeah, the like, sequence where they went over the trenches was very well done. Yeah. There was that one shot where, like, the tank drives over them, right? And they're, like... In yeah, the yeah, that's, yeah, that's oh, what that, I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. That's fucking <laughs> terrifying. I guess maybe those scenes would have been cool to watch on screen, but, uh, you know. At the same time, though, it's a Netflix movie, and I feel like I must enjoy a Netflix movie as Netflix intended on my television. <laughs> well, with that, uh, definitely encourage you guys to check it out and reach out to us and tell us your thoughts. Uh, ways that you can reach out is by emailing us, RemakesRebootsRevivals at gmail.com. You can hit us up on our social medias, Instagram at RemakesRebootsRevivals, Twitter at RemakesPodcast. You can search for us on Facebook and YouTube by searching for Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. And if you enjoy this podcast, please find us on your podcast listening platform and give us a rating. And if they have the availability of a review, please share your thoughts with us because we do love to hear from you. Um... Yeah, I guess that's it for this week. Uh, what are we doing next week? We don't know. We don't know. We'll figure <laughs> we'll it out. Find it's out. February. We're going to be taking a break probably come mid-March or something. So, But we'll, we'll find stuff. We'll be here for you guys. So, All right. Well, until next time. Stay, stay unoriginal. original.